good evening. Uh, it's always a, a joy to, uh, to be with people, especially uh, around uh, holidays where uh, people are spending time with, with family and, and taking the opportunity to, to give thanks for, for the blessings that God has bestowed on us. And oddly enough, uh, while Thanksgiving is, is not a, an official uh, church holiday, it's one that I've gotten fairly familiar with preaching on. Uh, when I was a, a vicar uh, back in, in Colorado in the Denver area, the Thanksgiving service was always the one that they threw to the vicar. Um, and it was just, you know, that was the, the straw you got. Um, you didn't draw it. They chose it for you. And uh, last year, just the way that uh, the schedule worked out, I, I preached on Thanksgiving. And then once again this year, the way the schedule worked out, I found myself preaching on Thanksgiving again. And I did make the schedule. So there's no one to blame but myself. And one of the things that uh, Thanksgiving brings to mind is, is memory. Uh, here recently, my wife and I, we have been in the habit of, of listening to audiobooks. And one of the, the genres that we love listening to is, is biographies and, and specifically memoirs. I uh, love listening to, to people retell history through, through their personal narrative, uh, and it, to me, it's, it's so intriguing. And, and as we've been listening to a number of people's memoirs, it's caused me to reflect quite a bit on our memories. Our memory is kind of a funny thing, isn't it? Uh, do you ever stop and think about why is it that you can remember events from your childhood, from, from decades ago, as if they happened yesterday? While sometimes yesterday seems foggy at best. It seems like it, the distant past. And, and I think uh, the, our memories, they're, they're this strange thing. You know, why, why things are so clear and, and other things are unclear. And, and as I listen to, to people retell history uh, through their, their own personal narratives in, in memoirs, one of the things that has stuck out to me is how often authors have noted, as, as they're even writing and recording this, that the way that they remember something doesn't line up with how others remember it. Uh, for example, uh, a while back when, when Vanessa and I were kind of doing some traveling uh, between here and, and some places in Oregon, we were listening to uh, Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. We were listening to his memoir that's entitled Shoe Dog. And, and there's one instance in there when he, he speaks about these events and he remembers them very specifically occurring in this one year. But there's actually documentation that shows that it didn't happen in that year. And the thing that I hear people say again and again and again is there is some reason that I remember things the way that I do. And I think that's true. I think there is a reason that we often remember things the way that we do. You see, our memories, they have this way of, of revealing the, the difficulty that we have separating our head from our heart. That, that we as, as human beings have, have a very difficult time, and, and some might argue an impossible time, just being passive, objective, unbiased observers of events. I think about your, your memories of, of loved ones. Those memories are probably going to have a way of emphasizing that person's virtues. And, and sort of covering over many of their faults. 
Or, or if you remember an event from, from your past, from your childhood, that impacted you in a negative way, it's probably going to be surrounded with a great deal of, of doom and gloom. The sky's going to look a little grayer as you remember it. As we remember things, often what we end up remembering is not just how things happen, but how we actually want things to be. I have a, a good friend who, who I met several years ago, and, and even though we live on very different parts of the country, uh, we still keep in touch from time to time. And I remember when I met him, and, and he began to talk about his father. And, and I never met his father, and, and more than likely I will never meet his father. But every time this friend of mine would speak about his father, he would always highlight what a, what a wonderful man he was. Uh, the, the vigor and passion for life that he had. The, the spirit of, of adventure that his father embodied. And, and through the stories that he would tell about his dad, over time I kind of put some of the pieces together. And it dawned on me once that his father had essentially walked out on his family. But you wouldn't know that listening to the ways that he remembers his dad. And I have this sneaking suspicion that part of the way that he remembers his father is not simply about the man that his father was or is, but really the father that he wanted him to be. And our memories have a way of doing this, that that we remember things not just simply as they were, but how we hoped things would one day be. And it's no surprise then that Scripture spends a great deal of time talking about memory. Again and again throughout the Scriptures, and particularly in the Old Testament, we hear this command from God to remember. And that's exactly what we hear in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Here in this section of Deuteronomy, as you remember back to learning about the story of Israel, God has already rescued his people in a miraculous way out of Egypt as as he stretched out his arm and and pronounced his judgment on Egypt for their enslavement of Israel. He rescued them. He he led them through the the Red Sea, parting the water so they could pass through safely. He brought them to Mount Sinai. and, And he gave his servant Moses the law and the words of the Torah there on Mount Sinai. And now, then, after that, they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and finally, finally, they're preparing to enter the promised land. And as they prepare to enter the promised land, God commands his people to to go into that promised land, to take possession of it. But when you do it, keep all of the commandment that I've given you. Not just some of it, not parts of it. Don't, Don't pick and choose. Keep it all. The whole commandment that I've commanded you, keep that. And if you do that, God says, you will go in, you will possess that land, and you will dwell there, and you will live there in prosperity. You'll eat, and you'll be full. You'll build houses, and you'll dwell in them. You will live there and prosper, and and you'll multiply. Your offspring will grow. Israel will become a great nation if you simply go in and keep that commandment. And in order to do so, God makes this clear command for how they're going to keep that commandment. And it has to do with remembering. God tells them, remember the wilderness. I'll pick it up in in verse 2 of of chapter 8. 
God says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you. And he let you hunger and he fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live on bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and fearing Him. You know, it's interesting that God, what He emphasizes here is not simply that they remember the wilderness, but what He emphasizes is the way that they remember the wilderness. That that as Israel goes in to possess the promised land and, and they look back on their history in the wilderness, God has in mind a very particular Thing and, and particular ways that he wants them to remember those 40 years. Because everyone present that day remembers the wilderness. I mean, you have many people, probably most of the people listening to Moses that day were in fact born during those 40 years in the wilderness. All they remember was the wilderness. That is their only memory. And there's probably many things that they could have remembered, many things that they could have emphasized. The way that food and water were scarce. The way that they they were just waiting and wandering and, and walking. They could have remembered the suffering and the agony. During those 40 years, many people, they, they griped and they complained against God. They could have remembered that. They could have remembered how how many times they wanted to just turn around and go back to Egypt. I'd imagine there were some there that day that, that, that still wanted to do so. Remembering the wilderness wasn't enough. It was how they remembered the wilderness. God says, remember what I did for you in the wilderness. Remember the way that I, that I let you hunger, but then I fed you with this manna that you didn't know or understand? Remember my, my, my constant nearness to you, my, my presence with you. Remember how I led you by the pillar of fire by day, and, or the pillar of fire by night, and the pillar of smoke by day. Remember my presence with you in the wilderness. Remember how I provided and, and protected you. How your clothing never wore out. How your feet never ached or swelled. And may you remember that wilderness and may that teach you that you don't live by bread alone. You live by every word that comes from my mouth, God says. Because the way that Israel remembers the wilderness, the way they remember those years of scarcity, will shape how they operate when they enter the promised land and enjoy years of plenty. Because that's precisely what's coming for them. God says to them in verse 7, The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, 
a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. God says, remember the wilderness, because your days of scarcity are coming to an end. Remember the wilderness, remember those years of scarcity, so that when you go in and you enjoy years of plenty, you won't trust in that stuff, but that you will trust in my word and give thanks to me for the ways that I've provided for you. Just last Saturday, which was a a, a difficult day for this church, Uh, after Hetty's memorial uh, uh, and we were at the reception, I I was conversing with a, a member of our congregation, and we both commented how 2016 is, is sort of a year that we're kind of ready to leave behind. I see people nodding in the back in agreement. I don't know if you've thought about it, but, but 2016 has, has been a year of scarcity for many people at Lamb of God. We have, uh, we have said goodbye to, if uh, my count is correct, since last Christmas, we have said goodbye to three of our founding members. Four. Four of our founding members. People who, who were deeply loved by this community, by their families. We've had members lose children during pregnancy. We, we've seen... People who who were rocks and cornerstones of this church experience the the effects of age, having to leave their homes and and go into assisted living. 2016 has kind of been a a year of of scarcity for this community. But for some, maybe it's it's been a year of plenty. Maybe you look back and and it's been a, a good year for you. And I don't, know, I don't know how you'll remember this year. What, what will you emphasize? What, will you emphasize the, the, the pain and the loss that you felt? Will you emphasize the, the, the feeling of, of loneliness and abandonment? What, will you look back at 2016 and, and just think, that's a year that I want to forget? Will you look back at, at this year and And just be crying out, grumbling and and complaining against God. Or or perhaps we can learn to remember this year in a different way. Perhaps Christ and, and his word can teach us to remember not just the things that we've lost and the people that we've said goodbye to, Not just remember perhaps the the chaos 
that we felt and, and the feelings of, of exhaustion as, as we seek to find rest in the midst of hectic lives. But perhaps what we can learn from Christ and his word, perhaps what we can learn from Israel in the wilderness is to remember the ways that even in the midst of scarcity, God has never removed his presence from us. To remember the ways that that in our moments of hurt, God has surrounded us with his people to make his promises known to us again and again and again. To remember in our moments of exhaustion and, and chaos that each and every week we're invited again to come and to hear God's word and, and to find rest in the gospel. And not just here, but, but every time we crack open the, the pages of this book and we hear those words and promises of Christ that promise that we are his children, we come and we hear Christ say to us again, come to me because I want to give you rest. That in our moments of scarcity or or feeling like we just can't make ends meet, our God, the King of the universe, continues to invite us to come and receive forgiveness of sins, to be fed with his very body and blood at the altar. And and as we've said goodbye and and as we've lost loved ones, we continue to witness God bring forth new life out of water and the word at this font. See, when we remember and we look back at a year of scarcity through those terms, we can see what God is doing in that. That our suffering and our pain and our loss, they're not meaningless, but they're God's activity to humble us. To teach us that we don't live on plenty. We don't live by bread alone. We don't live by money alone. We don't live by recreation alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of our God. The word that says you are forgiven, you are set free, you are my child. We learn to see that so that we can trust in him and trust that his promise is that he is bringing us into a good land. A land of plenty when we get to dwell with him in his kingdom forever. Um, I have not been married for a particularly long time. Uh, about four and a half-ish years. But in those uh, four and a half years of, of marriage, uh, there is one year that, that sticks out uh, in my memory uh, rather distinctly. It was our third year of marriage and, and my fourth year at seminary. And I remember as, as we were preparing to, to go back to St. Louis, uh, I could not be more excited to be, to be done with school. And my wife could also not be more excited for me to be done with school. But as, as excited as we were to be done, uh, we were also excited to, to go and, and spend a year with friends. Uh, and Vanessa had, had a good teaching job, and, and we had some stability. And, and I scored this, this position uh, filling in preaching for a church that was shorthanded. And, and so we were excited to, to just kind of live it up for one last year before we had you know, real responsibilities like raising a child. And that year, uh, it didn't exactly go as planned. Uh, by Thanksgiving of that year, uh, we had decided that it was best for, uh, for Vanessa and our family and for her health, uh, for her actually 
to quit her teaching job due to uh, an anxiety disorder. And, and as I was working as, as both a student and, and also preaching two to three times a month, I, I found myself just stretched thin and, and burnt out. And I can remember moments in, in me grumbling, complaining, and crying out to God because energy and income were rather scarce. But, but, but strangely, as, as Vanessa and I talk about that year, the thing that sticks out to us is not the scarcity, but God's provision in the midst of that scarcity. Uh, the way he surrounded us with, with friends who, who just came to us with open arms and open ears, and every time they did open their mouths, what was on their lips were the promises of God. Uh, how he led us to, to speak with, with trusted counselors and, and professors who, who were willing to, to hear the grumbling and the complaining. How, how even in, in those feelings of, of being stretched thin and, and, and lacking resources, we always had enough. We were reminded deeply of, of, of how much our families love and support us. I remember that year as the year that I was called to Lamb of God. And I reminded that year was a year for God to humble and to discipline me. For him to teach me, Marcus, you don't live on plenty. You don't live by bread alone. You live by every word that pours forth from my mouth. The words that call you my beloved child, no matter how many times you complain against me. No matter how you look back on on this past year, may you look back and give thanks. May you look back and give thanks for God's presence with you in the midst of scarcity. May you look back and give thanks for the one who perhaps has provided a year of plenty. May we learn to to look back and give thanks for the grace that remains the one constant. And the reminder that that in plenty or scarcity, we always have enough because we have Jesus. And because we have Jesus, we can trust that God has good things in store for us. As he is leading us into his kingdom, where we will dwell with him there forever. And for that, may we give thanks. Amen?